Our Father, we, we do thank you for all things, and we always will, because you're the one who's sovereign. You're the one who has the whole plan under control. Satan was allowed to rebel, and so was Adam and Eve, but uh, you know the end from the beginning, and uh, you will, in the end, declare that it was good. And that's far beyond our understanding, but you're teaching us every day. Your word is in the center of that and critical for that. So I thank you that we can gather this morning using this means set before us. Father, please watch over uh, us all, uh, keep us safe, protect us, guide us, direct us, and encourage us in these dark days. For we are the lights of the world. May we never forget that. Father, I I do pray for our president and our leaders and all those that uh, govern there in, in those roles that have been defined so long ago. Father, we know that, that even the Constitution, which we revere, even the Declaration, they're just they're merely the works of men. But uh, you were clearly uh, working there also to accomplish those great events. So, Father, I pray that you would watch over this nation, that you would uh, draw us all back uh, to yourself and do a mighty work in these days. And may many realize that without you and without your work, we would be truly uh, not only on our own, but it would be a miserable uh, future indeed to look forward to. So, Father, I pray that you would draw many to yourself in these days, that you would protect our president, those that serve with him, our vice president, all those that serve with him. Father, that uh, you might accomplish a great purpose in these days, uh, even in our nation, even through it, uh, as you have before so often. So, Father, we just uh, commit to you uh, our hearts uh, in that regard that uh, your will might be accomplished in a very special and dramatic way. Father, I pray that you would encourage those that dare to stand with uh, those that serve well, that you would defeat the enemy and his many uh, servants who willingly uh, create fables that uh, so many are willing to believe due to uh, the weakness in their own hearts and their own minds. Thank you, Father, that uh, some, uh, though, stand out and uh, may lead and, gu and guide others, even the, amongst the younger ones. Father, I pray for all, all of our ch children and grandchildren that they also would know your good hand, your rest upon them, your, your hand of rest and peace upon them and that you protect us all. Some are even in harm's way more than others regarding the virus. I pray that you'd watch over them and, and those that are serving in the medical profession. Father, I, um, I pray for a great awakening. I do in this country. So many even in the churches have uh, turned aside from your word it has not been powerfully taught often. I pray, Father, that would change and many hearts would be drawn to you in these days. Bless us now as we look into your word. I pray in Christ's name and amen. Yeah. 
Okay, we continue today in Paul's first letter to Timothy. The title today is Hope by Grace Through Faith, Even Through the Fall. Even Through the Fall, looking back to the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> in the circumstances there so very, very long ago. And I, I just uh, have to say at the beginning that though the scriptures we look at today are the same ones we looked at last time in our last fellowship, our emphasis today will be strongly on that last uh, section, verses 14 through 16. And the key word will be hope hope. So let's uh, <laughs> set our minds and hearts for that. This is going to be, in some ways, maybe the most important lesson in the entire section here on First Timothy. I believe that as Paul reached closer to the end of his life and ministry, he focused more and more carefully on issues that would be critical in the times that would follow and in the teaching that must never be forgotten. Yes, uh, he certainly gave us much good teaching in the earlier letters. Even going way back to the first, we looked at the, the Thessalonian letters recently and, and we're greatly blessed by those, right? And then we, we've also looked not that long ago at Philippians. It's a while since we looked at Romans and the Corinthian letters. But uh, I think the Corinthian letters, at least one of them, might be next in our sequence here. We'll see how that goes. But uh, here, the letter is short, and it's written to a person. It's not written to an assembly. It's not written to... A, a church group in a city, but rather to a person, and in this case, Paul's son in the faith, Timothy. But the teachings that he considered most critical for Timothy and therefore for believers are, are very well outlined here. Some of them are teachings that are just so incredibly important. Uh, I just don't know how to state it more strongly than, than that. We live in a day when the word of God has been set aside. The language is being rapidly changed. The words have new meanings, according to many. Uh, history is being erased as much as physically possible. And the challenges intellectually are on every side. There's a new mindset that's taken over. New words are invented to describe that. I believe that's all part of the enemy's work. What the enemy seeks to do is to erase the scripture that the revelation of God to man may not be known. Or the words may be possessed, but their meaning changed. And that's what's happening so rapidly today. Of course, this will set the stage ultimately for the rapture. Could be soon, could be even today. So we look forward to that, right? But after the church is caught up out of this world, uh, 
then what happens, right? Then we have the tribulation period coming upon this earth and upon mankind. It'll be a serious, challenging time indeed for those that remain. Well, Paul sets the stage for the entire letter in chapter one, and we've focused on that a number of times. So just to repeat the wording there in chapter one, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was the first in a long line. The chief goes to battle first. This is spiritual warfare. Christ, of course, was the great leader, and then he sent forth his own, in this case, uh, Paul, uh, as apostle of the Gentiles, right? To be the leader, to be the chief, to be the uh, the first in a new sequence, a new line of sinners. These sinners saved by grace alone through faith. Uh, Paul preached that message everywhere the Lord took him. And he was given special gifts and great uh knowledge uh, of God's will and purpose to accomplish that well. And he so much wanted to pass the mantle on, as it were, and I believe he did, finally, to Timothy. Certainly in the church at Ephesus, Timothy was the leader, set there by Paul, and there were many challenges. That message of redemption is repeated in chapter 2 in those two great verses, Verses 5 and 6, where he wrote this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The great plan of redemption was revealed in outline form, though, way back at the beginning, back in Genesis. So we need to go back there to actually see that. We'll do some of that today. But uh, other things are also revealed in Genesis that are critically important for our understanding. And we'll look mostly at that today. And that has to do with the fall of Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden and the consequences of that fall upon mankind but the end of it all will be hope <laughs> uh, a hidden hope but one that will ultimately be so clearly revealed so sin has its consequences as we'll see in our study today and those consequences are weighty indeed grave is the king james word for that such gravity uh, of writing as Paul presents here is hardly found anywhere. I mean, it's it's like Paul here in these words we're looking at today draws out with the Holy Spirit's direction the very words that can effectively communicate the seriousness of the situation that mankind is now in and the reasons, of course, why redemption is so necessary. Uh, you remember Adam, Adam sinned, and that brought death upon the entire human race. Remember those words in Romans. Through one man, sin came into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. 
There the apostle focuses on Adam. Here in 1 Timothy, however, the main focus is on some women. He does focus on the men and sets forth his guidelines for the administration of the local assemblies. But the main focus here is on the women, and we'll see why again today. We looked at it last time, but we'll see more today. I hope, I hope what you see today uh, opens up for you uh, uh, really an understanding which is glorious. It's so glorious to understand what Paul has written here. There was an issue in the churches. It was a very practical issue, and that was that some women had taken over, tried to take over leadership from the men who had been appointed. Uh, but what, uh, what he writes is that uh, there are reasons why the women should not lead in the assembly. There are good reasons that go all the way back to the beginning, and we'll see what they are today. But there's a hidden, there's sort of a <laughs> secret in a sense, but not really, but certainly hidden blessing also involved that we're all called upon to learn of, and the women are right in the center of the focus here today. The verses are the same ones we looked at last time. I'll quickly read them and then we'll read them again. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection that I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the men, but to be in silence. For Adam was first conceived, then Eve. No, let me start over. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, and here's where the hope comes in, notwithstanding the fact that she was the one who fell to Satan's temptation, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, you may respond immediately that you don't understand this at all. Uh, that's fine. That's the purpose of the teaching here by Paul. And our teaching here today, may that issue be resolved. <laughs> okay. But in the church there, there was an issue, and that's that uh, some women had tried to take over the authority that God had given to the men. Now, Paul re refers, and it helps, I think, to look at the, the other places Paul refers to this. One main place is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, and he writes there to, to the Corinthians, he says, But I fear, lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the serpent, who was motivated, empowered, enabled by Satan himself, we learn about that from, from the book of Revelation in chapters 12 and 13, 
and 20, chapters 12 and 20. Apart from that, you wouldn't know it was really Satan there. In fact, there are those that deny that that was really Satan there and say this was just a very intelligent serpent speaking. Hmm. Uh, no, Revelations 12 and 20 reveal it was Satan behind the whole thing. Okay. Um, Satan was a liar and even a murder from the beginning, as Adam and Eve would soon discover as their lives progressed, right? But uh, what it says here in 2 Corinthians is that a serpent beguiled Eve. He had ways. He had observed Eve. He did not know everything. He was a, a finite being, but of great ability. He had watched Eve long enough to know what her heart was and her mind but what her heart was and how he might influence her he did not tempt adam in the same way and there's a reason why he did not try to lead adam astray in the same way and the reason just to summarize is that adam wouldn't have been deceived he was deceived because of the nature that god had given her and we'll talk more about that as we proceed okay so the point is that really of all of this is that and this is really the reason why paul now goes back to genesis the reason is that god had created woman distinct and different in many ways from man eve was not adam she was created quite differently she was created to be his counterpart Remember, Adam examined all of the other crea creations. He didn't see anything that was appropriate for himself. He had this incredible and deep loneliness of spirit, a, a sense of incompleteness. Even though God had created him well indeed, but God had not finished that creation yet until Eve was drawn from his, from his side, as it were. Okay? So Adam was created to be the head over Eve. She was created to be the heart of Adam. And the two were therefore uh, designed to be joined together as one being in the Lord, as it were, right? Now, these different characteristics were not mutually exclusive, but they were dominant. So, yes, Eve... She had a mind. It was a great mind indeed. Adam had a heart. Yes, it was a great heart. But uh, the dominance of these was different between the two. And that's really the reason why Paul goes back to Genesis to explain what's hidden in the teaching that needs to be brought to light. Therefore, he concludes that the man is to lead in the assemblies and the women are to follow their lead. It's also true in marriage, according to Ephesians chapter 5, where the same distinction is, is revealed, right? And it's true outside of marriage. It's true in society. The family is right in the center of the work of God. If the family is destroyed, God's work fails. God's work requires the family because... God created Adam and Eve the way he did, and all of their children uh, were 
preserved in that different uh, role, one to the other, right? Now, that means that men have certain capabilities women are not as skilled in. But more importantly, the men have authority God has given to them, and there's a hierarchy, right? Because women have other critically important roles that the men are not as skilled in, right? And so we must have both together, and they two together form the uh, the family unit and guide and direct it as the children are brought into this world, okay? Such is the balance that God has created. Now, the apostle goes back to Genesis for the support of this teaching, and that is what I want to now focus on. What he, what he writes in the verses set before us is that deliverance from Eve's rebellion back there in the garden, deliverance from it, would be a privilege and blessing if only, and those are big words, if only the children would follow in faith sobriety and so forth, right? That's a very, very big if indeed, and you might really be hung up on that. Many, many are. Uh, in fact, the boldness of the apostle here, I believe, is not often found in the churches and amongst believers because we've been so harmed by the degradation, the anti-Bible uh, uh, emphasis and the uh, lack of spirituality and the increase of worldliness uh, in the churches um, has really taken us so far from scripture. But this is what we find written here. There's a hidden and unseen hope expressed there in those words uh, of the apostle as he takes us back to Genesis. And indeed, uh, that is so very, very critically important. I'm reminded of a hymn. Uh, we talk about the hidden and unseen hope how could there be a hidden and unseen hope at all in Adam's sin and rebellion, right? Or Eve's, for that matter. How could there be? But there was. And there's a hymn entitled Grace Greater Than All Our Sin. It was written by Julia Johnston many, many years ago uh, in the middle part of the 19th century. And her theme was the very theme of creation, the fall and redemption. Her words are these. This is in the refrain. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. That's so important. Grace that is greater. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And that's... Uh, really the theme today when we consider the hope that was there even in the garden so very very long ago okay the outline hope changes everything doesn't it <laughs> uh, first of all the effects of the rebellion and here we're thinking back on uh, eve and adam but on eve the effects of the rebellion its effect on all believing women the effects of the rebellion, its source, according to Genesis, it, the effects of the rebellion, its promised blessing, 
by grace through faith, even through childbearing, even through childbearing. Okay, first of all, the effects of the rebellion, its effect on all believing women. I say its effect on all believing women. We could say its effect on all women. It's just that not all have hope, at least not the hope that we're talking about here. Okay, so let's first uh, look at what's written here. You know, Paul does restrict the ministry of the women in the churches. He doesn't say they can't teach, but he does say that they may not teach and lead publicly in the assemblies, okay, when it came to the teaching of doctrine. Now, we know from other scriptures that Paul did approve of women teaching. In fact, their teaching was honored and uh, and necessary. And uh, that's true, certainly, amongst women and uh, the, amongst the children. That's very clear in his letters. And uh, we see that in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where Timothy's mother and grandmother are mentioned. And also in Titus chapter 2, where Paul says what the responsibilities of the women are in the church, and especially the older women, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. So the actual prohibition about teaching here is, is only in regard to women taking over the duly assigned authority that had been given to the men for leading the assemblies and teaching doctrine, right? Other than that, the women are not only not restricted, they are encouraged to do what's most critically important regarding other women and children. Okay, so this is a general exhortation. But you know, to explain himself, he chooses, and I think this is the remarkable thing about the passage, he chooses to go back to Genesis. Today, in the teaching in the churches, who would dare do this? I mean, Genesis today is being largely ignored or at least minimized in its importance. The reason is uh, the fundamental teachings of the Bible are outlined uh, in uh, summary form way back then at the time of the fall, right? And the promise regarding the seed of the woman, which provides the crimson thread, as it were, that weaves through the entire Bible and leads, of course, up to the, uh, the shedding of Christ's blood, uh, Christ being the ultimate seed of the woman, right? And therefore, the source of eternal redemption, right? So that crimson thread or scarlet thread weaves through the entire Bible. To learn about it, you've got to start in the right place, and that's in Genesis. Okay. That Paul goes back there as well and substantiating this teaching about women in the churches is, I find, just really astounding. Okay. And uh, we, we need to go back there and, and ask ourselves the question, why does Paul go to Genesis? To explain this in ancient times nobody would have had any difficulty i mean women had a subsidiary role in greek and roman culture and also in in uh, hebrew culture although in the hebrew culture women were important okay they certainly were not ruling the synagogues though 
okay? So there's so much here in Paul's going back to Genesis. It is so important. Let's consider why that is, okay? So our second point today, the effects of the rebellion, its source, according to Genesis. The source of the rebellion hmm, is critically important to understand. What does Paul write there? Gail, I want you to read those two verses. 11 and 12. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Thank you, Gail. And that's a very, very strong, that's the strongest exhortation defining God's will and purpose when it comes to women and men, found in Paul's letters, the wording is chosen to be as strong as possible, right? So with such a strong, strong emphasis, you can see why there's so much misunderstanding for those that go, don't go back to Genesis to find out why. So let's go back to Genesis. And Linda, please read those verses for us, verses 13 and 14. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Thank you, Linda. Okay, so he goes back to Genesis, implying that it's critically important to see how the rebellion and fall occurred, you know, and what was its source. If we don't understand that, we can't understand why Paul said the women can't teach in the assembly okay so what does he say about the source of the rebellion here he considers it the critical issue right notice that it's eve that's the main focus and not adam and that's as it should be adam is the main part of the story in a certain respect and you go back to Genesis chapter 3. And Eve is a player. She's part of it. In fact, she's the critical part of it. But Adam is the main focus. Sin didn't come upon the human race through Eve and her transgression. In other words, God did not hold Eve accountable in the same way that he had held Adam accountable. The reason was she was deceived and Adam wasn't. Okay, so Eve transgressed through ignorance. Satan succeeded in deceiving her, right? She was quite sure she was doing the right thing. She was doing that which would, would, would result in good. After all, to know good and evil, to be as God, what could be better than that, right? So Eve was drawn out in her nature. Her nature was inclined to consider that which was right and good and to do that which was right and good. Uh, in this case, even though Adam, who had given her the, uh, the principles of living there in that garden, even though Adam had said, thou shalt not eat, and that that was the word of the living God, should not eat of that particular tree, okay? And so 
let's let's read these verses and uh, Tom, I'd like you to read these amazing verses for us in Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Those are such words indeed, are they not? So we see the source of the rebellion was that the woman was deceived by the temptation of the serpent, right? Her nature was drawn out in such a way that she actually did eat of the fruit. And she told her husband about that uh, <laughs> in due time, right? And he did eat too. Okay, now I'm just going to summarize because we want to go through some more here in this passage. Um, at that point, their eyes are opened. And uh, they knew that they were naked, which they didn't know it before. <laughs> they weren't any more naked now than before, except the covering of light was gone. At least that's the way I take it. So they could actually see themselves in a way they had never seen themselves before, right? And because uh, the glorious covering that God had given them had been removed through sin and rebellion. Okay. So they hid themselves, their conscience condemned them, they hid themselves from God and, uh, and so forth. The man blames the woman. He says, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So he blames the woman. He blames really God, the woman who you gave to me. Adam blames the Lord God for his sin. Then God speaks to Eve. He says, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did thee. So Eve blames the serpent. Neither one of them is taking any real responsibility there, unfortunately. Well, let's go on. Um, beginning in verse 14, I'll read. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed beyond all cattle and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity 
between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then verse 16, this is the key verse. This is why Paul goes back to Genesis. Genesis 3.16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Okay, verse 16 doesn't make any sense ultimately apart from verse 15, the great so-called the pre-gospel. I will put in between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay. That's the promise concerning the seed of the woman. Okay. In other words, there's hope even in the fall. All right. And that applies to the woman as well. And that gets to the heart of the matter we're looking at today. To the woman, he says... I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Okay. Now, the consequence of all this will be thorns and thistles. Adam is told then what the curse is upon him, and I'm not going to focus on that today. But the focus on him will be very great indeed. And uh, just one verse, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and then to dust thou shalt return. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Okay, so the final responsibility is placed on Adam, not on Eve, but each of them is given a judgment, right? Or a curse, as it were, for Adam that the ground will no longer produce food as it had before. And all of his days are going to be spent in toil and trouble until the day he dies. For the woman, for Eve, what is her curse, as it were? Well, what does it say? I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Okay, conceptions are now going to be multiplied. Not just a few, but many, potentially, right? In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Okay? And thy desire shall be to thy husband, who shall rule over thee. Well, what about these judgments? Is there no hope here? Remember, God knows the end from the beginning. It's very interesting that when Paul writes about the judgment placed upon Adam in Romans chapter 5, when he writes about that, he says something you might not expect. He says, uh, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, he goes on and he says, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. 
the grace of God and the gift by grace hath abounded on that. Yes, one through one man's sin came upon all and death by sin, right? But much more, much more, much more. Get that? Much more. Grace is greater than all your sin is what he says there, right? And he keeps on two more times. Verse 17. Much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Uh, a favorite verse. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And then the next verse. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So by one man's sin, death came upon all. Uh, also, the great gift of justification of life. So that brings us to the last and final part. The effects of the rebellion, its promised blessing by grace through faith, even through childbearing. Okay, so... Lisa, would you please read there for us in uh, verse 15? Please. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Thank you very much. That's a pretty big F, isn't it? What is the hope of every mother? Well, we should say every believing mother. What is their great hope? Yes, there's much trial in childbearing and in child rearing. Many trials, many tribulations, more for some than others. What is the great hope that every mother has for her children? That they would continue in faith and true agape love and holiness <laughs> with sobriety, right? By the way, you should should realize that in the Greek there, it's even slightly um, more interesting than what you might have just read. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in the childbearing. There's a specific childbearing that makes all the difference. When we think of Mary, we cannot help but think of Mary, right? You see, there's a hidden blessing it goes all the way back to Genesis where it's revealed. Not only would the penalty be given to Eve as the penalty was to Adam, but also there would be a blessing of hope. Okay. And uh, that is hidden there. It's revealed later through time, through the scriptures. And Paul really brings it out here when he, in verse 15 uh, writes what he did, right? Now, you might wonder, who are these pronouns about? She shall be saved in her childbearing if they continue or abide in faith, right? And so forth. Uh, is it uh, only about the mother that is speaking? No, because it changes to the plural in the second part, right? If they continue, does that mean she has no hope unless her children 
continue. No, it does not, because ultimately this goes back to the seed of the woman, whereby all hope springs eternal in our breasts, right? It all goes back to the Savior. The whole thing goes back to him. And it was all outlined at the very, very beginning, right? Every woman, not only Eve, when she brought forth her children, but every woman after her who had the word of God in her heart, in their hearts, were hoping for the seed to come forth that would bring deliverance. In fact, uh, that's what Eve thought when her first son was born, right? Uh, she was wrong. He was not <laughs> the promised seed. So the salvation really of the whole human race because they're all coming through. Eve, Eve is the, the source of all living, right? So the hope of the entire human race was through childbearing. Uh, and that was intimated there in that previous verse in Genesis 3. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and uh, so forth, right? The seed would bruise the head of Satan once and for all in due time. So there is great exhortation here, but great toil and trial came upon the human race through Eve's transgression and Adam's sin. Okay? Great trial, but behind it all, there was a promise of hope. And that is where we all find deliverance, right? In that very promise of hope. Now, as a final comment, let me just say this. What does Satan want to do? He wants to destroy marriage and family, right? Why does Satan want to destroy marriage and family? Because it's in the very nature that God created for Adam and a different but related nature that he created for Eve that the blessings would flow, you see, right? So those that do not have the blessings of marriage and family miss out on much. That does not mean they can't be blessed as believers, but they certainly miss out on much that God planned from the very beginning. And in fact, deliverance from the fall and its many consequences is inherent in marriage and family, as this verse 15 makes so clear. Okay, <laughs> one man wrote this, and I'll just have to quote his words um, because he stated it so well. He said, this was a man named Nicole, wrote a whole uh, commentary in the Bible. He says, in the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread, expresses man's necessity, duty, privilege, and dignity. If the necessity of work be a stumbling block, man can make it a stepping stone. <laughs> okay. Uh, nay, it is the only stepping stone available to him. 
If St. Paul's argument had led him to emphasize the man's part in the first transgression, he might have said, he shall be saved in his toil, his overcoming of the obstacles of nature. It is the woman's primary function, duty, privilege, and dignity, Paul reminds Timothy, that besides her initiative in transgression, the pains of childbirth were her sentence, yet in undergoing these, she finds her very salvation. Amen and amen. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 kind of stands out. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We live in a world of sin and the effects of it are everywhere. But we have hope by grace through faith. Amen and amen. So Paul must go to Genesis to underscore his teaching. As he does often, he must go to Genesis. And so must we, if we want to properly communicate teaching of the word of the living God. Well, amen. Lord bless you all. And if there are any questions or comments, uh, please, now is the time. Hi, Jim. This is Lewis. Uh, quick question. The uh, Verses 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith. So the first half of the paragraph is singular. Then the second half is plural. So yes. if they here refer to general women or refer to Adam and Eve. Or the women and the children. Yeah, but if, yeah, well, women and their daughters. But seems like the sentence doesn't sync up. Part of the front sentence is talking about Eve. The second part talking about plural. So yeah. how do they connect? Yeah, yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, I went over it quickly, but as I mentioned before, uh, there, there's more there's more here than you could say meets the eye, okay, because you can certainly see how it applies directly to the mothers, okay, uh, and uh, to their daughters and so forth down through the generations, right? But But the fact that it all hints back and goes back and points back to the promise in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, right? We see that it, it goes far, far beyond that. In fact, the salvation of the whole human race basically comes through the same, okay? So in other words, God had in mind in permitting and allowing and foreknowing the fall, he had in mind a redemption that was even greater than this sin, okay? Even greater than this transgression. So the, the real deliverance, the real salvation, yeah, you're, you're, you're saved in sort of a psychological sense, thinking about 
you know, your children doing well and so forth and so on. Even unbelievers have that sense, right? But for the believer, we're, we're, we're really called upon, I think, to look at it more widely and more, more deeply. So I, I, I think the fact that he switches from singular to plural is meant to uh, cause us to think deeply about this. Okay. Now, is there a mystery still in this or something we still don't understand? No doubt. <laughs> There's so yeah, much depth here. Yeah, I was just looking at this, you know, the first half of the uh, paragraph talking about the she shall be saved in childbearing. So we can probably just read this literally because, you know, uh, because at that time, talking about Eve, you know, the, all the prophecy, the first prophecy started there and the Christ will come out the line of you know, Eve. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she will be saved because you know, it's through, not through her, it's through Christ. So Christ has to go through this uh, childbearing process. But the target is on Christ, right? Then, but the second half, the, the paragraph, there's a continuing faith charity. So seem to decouple a little bit um, from Christ. But I guess we can start looking at the, um, the object of the faith and charity is still Christ. Right. Uh, well, but I, I think you, you essentially said it there, right? I mean, <clears throat> okay, so going back to Eve, she was saved through this, right? So the judgment was upon her, right? And she didn't know the full magnitude of it. She would find out over time, right? But uh, her hope had to be in uh, her offspring, Right, because the deliverance would come there in ways she didn't even comprehend. Right, and uh, so yes, her. But what about today? What about all women, right, who are believers? Shouldn't they say have the same hope, right? And uh, it's in a different sense. The Savior has already been brought forth, right? But the hope is for the next generation and the one after that. And that's what we pray for so fervently, do we not? Okay, any other comments or questions? Uh, Jim, I was going to say that um, I appreciate Lewis's question because I've had the same question. And um, it's a very difficult verse to understand. And you brought a lot of clarity and new understanding that I had not seen before. So this was a great teaching for me to hear. Well, I'm sure glad. Uh, it's been a great section of scripture for me too. And uh, you know, every time we look into the word, we, we should be gaining in our understanding, right? And, and I hope uh, it's been a great blessing to you as much as it has been to me. So let's thank the Lord today. Our Father, we are thankful, and we thank you for your word. Paul writes so boldly. Uh, it's as if there's no uh, timidity of any kind in him as he writes these words. And uh, he's willing to go back to Genesis to see the, uh, the foundations of our hope revealed. And indeed, we must, therefore, go back to Genesis to see, if it, see even in the creation even before the creation, God had, you had, Father, that great plan. 
it was a plan that would allow sin, but it was a plan of redemption and that grace would in the end be greater than all of our sin. So praise the Lord for that, Father, and may we take to heart these great teachings of the Apostle Paul and may they be transforming for us. Please watch over us day by day, hour by hour. The enemies are great, but uh, they do not compare, Father, to your great, great hand of blessing. So thank you again, Father, that uh, your great grace is greater than all of our sin. And we pray in Christ's name and amen.